0: This Dharma talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Good morning.
1: When we come to Sashim, we probably come for different reasons and the same reason. For different reasons just in the sense that, you know, each of us has some sense of what we want to contribute or what we want to get from Sashim. But the same reason is we come for Zazen. I'm pretty sure there's no one in this room who said to themselves, well, I really wanna hear Miyoshi's talk, so I'll sit 11 periods of Zazen so I can do it. I don't. I just don't think that happens. We come for Zazen. And so we should do that intentionally. Right? I mean, that's why when we come to our cushion, we bow to the cushion in, in a way. It's to establish this intention and we should Make space around and within our zazen, so around our zazen, you know we have the rituals that we do. We sh- we should make an effort to uh, be in our place after a break or something five minutes before the end of the, uh, the, the beginning of the next period, just so you know we're here, and we can be very intentional about we're here for zazen. And within our zazen, you know our practice is to let go of thoughts, but thoughts aren't easily relinquished. <laughs> uh, last night I was mentioning that there was a tradition in Native American culture of um, a, a council to, um, to talk. and. Uh, there was a tradition of uh, being silent and attentive and listening until you had the talking stick. When you had the talking stick, you could talk, but then you relinquished it. Um, so I've been practicing with that. And actually I encourage you to practice with that just to try it out. So I uh, I've been practicing that with that in the sense when I notice myself, you know, getting involved in something, maybe I'm rehearsing what I'm going to say in my Dharma talk or, you know, some form or another, right? I've uh, said to myself, return the talking stick to the universe. And even sometimes this little image comes up of me doing that. I have to say, it's, it's, Certainly, a way of opening the hand of thought, because we have this image then of opening the hand. And the other thing I've noticed about it is that sometimes the same things come up over and over again, right? So, uh, within this image of returning the talking stick to the universe, I've I've also had the thought of first uh, labeling the train of thought that comes up and then returning the talking stick. So so if the train of thought is rehearsing, so then I'll I'll notice, oh, I'm rehearsing. And it kind of, and then returning the talking stick after noticing rehearsing kind of is a vow, I don't really want to spend this time rehearsing. I'd rather spend this time right here instead of. And so there's something that feels at least, hearted about practicing like this. So I, I suggest it to you. Give it a try. See if it is helpful for your sashimi. One of the topics that I want to pick up in this sashimi, maybe the main topic, is. The teaching, the dharma talks, they come without words. Sometimes we refer to it as the teaching of the insentient, the way all things in the universe teach the dharma. Dogen's teacher, Ru Jing, um, wrote a poem. He wrote a poem about a wind bell. Do you know what a wind bell is? little bell, right? It has a clapper in it, right? And uh, attached to the clapper on a string is usually like a, a piece of cardboard or paper. And the cardboard acts like a sail. And so if you have it out someplace where the wind can reach it, the wind will come in and it will blow the, the cardboard and it will ring the bell. Very right? Be ingenious. Uh, uh, we, we have wind chimes and it's the same. You know? so he wrote a poem about that and his poem was this the whole body is a mouth hanging in emptiness not questioning the winds from east, west, south or north equally with all of them chiming out prajna Ding ding, ding ling, ding dong. I love this poem. Dogen really loved it. He told his teacher, it's amazing, no one has ever written something so wonderful. <laughs> Dogen was a cool dude. The whole body is a mouth hanging in emptiness. So it describes of course the whole body of the bell, right? Is a mouth that speaks hanging in emptiness. And not questioning the winds from east-west, north or south, right? And not getting involved in discriminations about what we'll pay attention to or what we'll respond to. Equally with all of them chiming out prajna. Prajna is the wisdom of emptiness, the wisdom of how things are completely interrelated with other things. So the whole body is a mouth hanging in emptiness, preaching the Dharma. This phrase, the whole body, is interesting because it's used to describe wind bell, but a lot of times, we use the phrase whole body to, to describe all sentient beings, and insentient beings, the whole body. So here's, here's the little body. But here also is the whole body. So this poem, the whole body is a mouth hanging in emptiness, chiming wisdom. Chiming the wisdom of how all things Interrelated. It's very lovely. So, the awakening that was embodied in Shakyamuni Buddha when he awakened is uh, known as the Dharmakaya or truth body, or we could say reality body. And windbell is announcing the truth body of Buddha. The truth body, the dharmakaya, is what um, is the essence of Buddha's awakening. And it's independent of the person who is realizing it. When persons realize the dharmakaya, they realize they're not persons. They're not individuals. And the real essential Buddha was not his body but the truth to which he awakened which he partially taught the truth to which he awakened is vast inconceivable and so he taught like really important parts of it like the origination of suffering causes of suffering the cessation of suffering in the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. Really important for us suffering means, but really a small part of the Dharmakaya, of the truth to which he awakened. On one occasion, uh, Buddha told uh, one of his disciples He who sees the Dharma, he who sees the truth, sees the Tathagata. And he who sees the Tathagata, it's a name for the Buddha, sees the Dharma. He's saying, totally the same. In (coughs) fact, that's what he awakened to, that he and the whole body were not separate. So Buddha's Dharma body is eternally present. As long as there's truth, there's Buddha. And at some level, each of us is the Dharmakaya, the embodiment of truth. We are made only of what is true. Each element of what we call the self, even though we might say, well, fundamentally, there is no self but each element of what we call the self is absolutely true and real. And even though we can never trace the origin of any of it all the way. But despite that, we are completely truth, even though we may have some many delusions and misunderstandings and misapprehensions of the truth. Isn't it interesting how truth can pile up upon truth in such a way as to produce false? (laughs) How could that happen, and yet, how could we be anything other than the truth? The world never lies to us. Everything is precise and ordered. A life that's dominated by craving will inevitably have suffering, first noble truth. It's just true. Poison ivy causes itching. It's just true, right? It's not moral or immoral, it's just true. When you pump a certain amount of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, the global climate will change. It's not capricious. It's not imagination. It's just true. So the nice thing about listening to the dharma of the insentient, the dharma of those that cannot speak in words, is that they never lie to us. They never make a mistake. we should appreciate how true the world really is if if we can do that it gives us a tremendous advantage in our zazen of dealing with our thoughts because if we hold up our thoughts next to the true to the really real every thought is just so clearly imagination we we see how thin and ephemeral, every thought and idea is. All the anticipations we have about what happens next, all of our likes and dislikes, dust in the wind, compared to reality. So there's the immense reality of the world, and then there's the thin wisp of our beliefs about the world. So good to know that the insentient is preaching the real Dharma. It's what, you know, the valley stream tells us when we hear it. It's what the trees tell us when we walk in the forest. How things really are. The question is, the challenge is, how can we actually because it's not speaking in words. This is actually one of the fundamental questions that's been asked in our school. A monk asked the teacher, what is the mind of ancient Buddhas? The teacher said, Fences, walls, tiles, pebbles. What kind of answer is that? These are concrete things, right? You're saying, these concrete things are in the mind of Buddha? I mean, doesn't it hurt to have them bouncing around in there? You'd have to walk very carefully. The monk said, aren't those inanimate things? And the teacher said, yes, they are. The monk said, can they teach? And the teacher said, they are always teaching, clearly, unceasingly. Remember the wind bell? The monk said, why can't I hear them? And the teacher said, you yourself don't hear, but you should not hinder that which does. Does that remind you of anything? Remember the, the koan where the monk says, you should know He's busy sweeping the ground. He says, you should know that there is one who is not busy. Kind of sounds like that to me. You yourself don't hear, but you shouldn't hinder that which does. And The monk persisted. He said, who can hear it? And the teacher said, the saints can. It's an interesting question. Who can hear it? Well, does it have to be a who? The teacher's already said, you know, don't get in the way of one who can hear it. Well, who can hear it? Does it have to be someone? If it has to be someone, let's call that person a saint. Because the saints knew who they were. The Buddhas knew who they were. The monk said, "Uh, do you hear it? And the teacher said, no. The monk said, if you don't hear it, how do you know inanimate things can teach? And the teacher said, it's lucky I don't hear it. For if I did, I'd be equal to the saints, and you you wouldn't hear my teaching. The monk said, then sentient beings have no part in it? And the teacher said, I teach sentient beings, not the saints. And the monk said, after sentient beings hear it, then what? Like this monk. He was persistent. You know, sometimes you ask a question like, uh, What is the mind of ancient Buddhas? It's kind of like to test the teacher, right? But this has gone beyond that. It's like he's gotten hooked by this question. After sentient beings hear it, then what? And the teacher said, Then they're not sentient beings. And I say, were they ever? Does want to comment or question? That cool? I'm saying, Oh, I'm sorry.
2: Oh, that's good. Um, I, I was just kind of thinking of uh, at least the Narizazen, um and the sitting. You know, there's kind of a like the sentient being piece, right? That's the, the cognitive mind going, you know. But underneath that, there's something... Stable and unbound. I don't know, like just Mm -hmm. you know, and at least for me, how to explain? Like closer, there's movement into that. Mm -hmm. The less of like ascension being, you are. Mm -hmm. That's yes. Because there's a there's a breakdown of the cognitive self. Yeah, exactly. And even in order to talk about this and help each other out we've got to kind of come out of that and into into um, I the same sentient being mode sure so there's like there's a dance sure I think the great teachers are able to do they're able to go in and come out and you know really sure so that's what I was thinking that's
1: so that's what I am saying I teach sentient beings not mm-hmm. saints you know I come out. Actually, we can never come out. It's totally impossible to come out. Mm -hmm. But if you could think of it as, yeah, I like the idea that someplace up here is the sentient being cognitive part. And then underneath, but totally penetrating it too, Mm -hmm. is the one who can't hear.
2: It's like the dirt that penetrates into a tree. Yeah. exactly. (laughs)
1: Is it, right. <laughs> it's, we don't call it dirt anymore. Yeah. We call it tree, but what it's is it? It's the really? earth, right? Yeah, yes. exactly. oh. I'm saying that physical things are true and real. But we, not necessarily the way we see them. We don't see like the dirt in this nyoi. With the body's eyes, which are guided by our narratives about the world, we don't see that, we could call them threads that uh, go from this nyoi to the walnut trees at Rumonji, because that's what this was made from. We don't see how the particular walnut tree that this was made from. We don't see the soil in which it grew. We don't see the hands of my Dharma brother, Shoshinsa, who made this in the year before he died. And we don't see the tendrils that connect this staff to Dogen's staff or the staff of the monks that traveled from mountain to mountain seeking the Dharma. In order to see how things really are, we have to go beyond our eyes. We still have to use our eyes, but we can't get caught up in them. In fact, we allow our eyes to drop away, we could say in Dogen's metaphor. Because eyes always see things as separate. All of our senses, They take in things as separate. Normally when we hear a sound, we locate it outside of ourselves. Sometimes if our tummy is rumbling, we even have to ask, what, is that me? Because sound comes from outside of us, right? So it's us and then there's sound. Not necessarily. I mean, most of the time, this is how we hear sound. Sometimes, no. Sometimes we hear music. And it doesn't seem like it's coming from anywhere, really. It's not coming from the speakers or the performers. It's just everywhere. Sometimes the ears don't fool us. Uh, in our zazen. Sometimes we can hear sound and not really locate it in some other place. We can just let it be what it is. Sensation. But our normal hearing, our normal seeing, our thinking is dominated by me and other. Us and aliens. Was in the elevator, uh, coming up for the talk, and a woman who's doing one of the other retreats got on the elevator, and she said, "What kind of outfit is
0: that?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Explains this is I'm a Buddhist priest. This is our ceremonial car. Oh, but look, what kind of outlet is uh, uh, outfit is that? Outfit is that is like this is alien, right? We just I mean, it's true. People don't usually dress <laughs> like this, but
0: but
2: <laughs> still, just something you picked up at the store. Is what you're like. I so did, yeah. Uh, the
1: store. Right. Oh, I thought it was Halloween.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's us and them. Most of you know, not maybe not all of you know, that. Uh, Recently I found out that I have prostate cancer. Just for those of you who haven't heard this before, it's pretty much a non-aggressive kind of cancer. There's some possibility that it could grow. But my doctor and I have decided that the, the best thing to do is called active surveillance. How Zen, right? It's uh, Zazen. The best thing to do is uh, Zazen, my doctor said to me. (laughs) So that means no treatment. We'll watch. We'll see what happens. So I'm sorry to keep coming back to this topic in Dharma Talks, but... It's my karma to have this, so it's your karma to hear about
2: this.
1: (laughs) But I I thought, not only is this active surveillance so zen, the treatment is non-treatment. Perfect. (laughs) It's a little scary. It's a little distressing, but it's really not imminently dangerous. A lot of men who have this disease and a lot of men have or will have this disease. I know probably most of the men know at least someone other than me who has prostate cancer. A lot of the men with this disease are terrified. And they want the cancer removed right away or killed with radiation. And some really have to because it's very dangerous. But, you know, there's a proportion of us that don't have to act like that. But some some men, even when told we could do active surveillance, they don't want to. The feeling is I have this alien being inside of me that is going to kill me. So I'm gonna get rid of it. Our eyes see it as separate, as other. I was talking to a psychologist friend, and he leads guided meditations for people who are ill. And I was asking him, What do you think I should do? He said, Well, I think you should go on the internet and get pictures of prostate cancer cells and really. Uh, fix it in your mind what they look like and you should do a meditation where you envision those exact cells and you envision your immune system coming up and killing them. I have to say my reaction was I don't think I can do that. (laughs) First precept, right? Disciple of Buddha does not kill. Is, Is this going the wrong direction? It didn't feel like my practice. Let's put it that way. But how natural what he said is, right? What is dangerous, even what we might imagine to be dangerous, is alien and must be destroyed. How Trumpian. but alien is dangerous. Are you crossing the border with your children? You might be a murderer or you might become a murderer and your kids might already be in MS-13. We have all kinds of ideas about anything we call other. And we call things other naturally, constantly, easily. You you heard about the commentator on Fox News who said it best, he said, uh, we have to remember They're not our children. How easily that comes. Into the other, we project all of our unwanted self. Our aggression, our greed, becomes other. We do it politically, we do it in our daily lives. The other is a threat and it must be removed. And uh, I just wanna ask the question, if if I'm right and that we're projecting our unwanted self into the other, then what is the real threat that we feel? Some of you guys are not old enough to remember this, but the Pogo cartoon. We have met the enemy, and he is us. you remember Stranger Danger? So look, we teach this to our children, right? It's very important that we teach this to our children. It is because they're so vulnerable and so unable to make the discriminations that will keep them safe. The discriminations that we have so carefully learned to make. And these children will remember it for the rest of their lives. Just like we have. So I'm noticing this interesting thing about my relationship to my tumor. It doesn't feel other. It just feels, it's my prostate doing the things that my prostate has been doing all of my life. Trying to do a job, maybe it's making a mistake every once in a while. Cells naturally divide, right? Sometimes they make mistakes when they divide. They divide to help the organism. Sometimes they don't recognize that they might not be helping the organism. They notice something's wrong, but the only thing they know how to do to correct something that's wrong is to divide. We do that. We think the problem is that we're not doing enough of what we're doing. The problem is that some people are crossing the border without being arrested. So how often do we keep doing something that's harmful? Because in the short run, it seems like it might be helpful. All my life, my prostate has been a bodhisattva. (laughs) <laughs> it's trying to do what's helpful for the whole, for this organism and beyond, for the whole body. And what I'm noticing is I don't want to murder those diluted prostate cells who think that the, what they're doing is a way to help. What I want is I want them to awaken Their delusions. Right? I want them to realize that to keep on doing what they're doing is to cause suffering rather than relieve it. I'd like them to calm down and to look around to see what's going on. Maybe even to reach out for something that would help them settle down and not continue what they're doing. So I'm eating very healthfully these days. So great. Anuj Majisha brought me a few snacks, right? Did he bring like sugar snacks? No, he brought blueberries, <laughs> nuts, <laughs> blackberries, <laughs> Thank you very much. (laughs) I figure what I want to do is introduce some really useful molecules in there and have them go, you know, floating by these prostate cells. So that maybe these cells would actually reach out for these molecules and hold them. Maybe these cells could take refuge in a way that would help them calm down their blind activity. I know that if it calms down, they'll see that they're on the wrong path. And once they see that, they'll let themselves be recycled for the good of the whole. That's what bodhisattvas do if they open up to the way things really are. They stop clinging to body and mind. And they allow them to drop off. One thing I know is that when Buddha awakened to the truth of who he really was, there was no other. We create the other. Could be sentient, could be insentient. What is the other? When we practice here, is the cushion the other? What about the wall or the floor? Is that other? When we practice here, there is just practice, and everything practices with us. I said yesterday, our effort here is to be together in peace and harmony. And the cushions and the carpet are making the same effort. And we could appreciate that if we dropped our ideas about other. Because there's no real other in this room, there's not even a real you. <laughs> there's just practice. Buddha realized this, we should realize that Buddha is not other than all of us. The insentient is not other than the sentient. In fact, in our Zen practice, we actually go beyond sentience. I know, um, and I'm, and I'm not referring to when we fall asleep, <laughs> our practice is to go beyond our eyes and our ears. Our eyes give us information about separateness. Our mind gives us information about good and bad. And we almost always put the good here and the bad there. But in so far as we're meeting the Dharma, we go beyond that common understanding. So. Zazen is a kind of insentience. Not in terms of not having any sensations, but in terms of how we work with sensations, how we work with our seeing and hearing and thinking. Normally, we think of our our Zazen as coming into our senses. And we use this as, as a way to practice, because if we're into, in our senses or in our physical senses, we're not in our thinking. So it's good, it, but it's provisional. So the next step, if there, no, I can't say that. But <laughs> no, I can't. It's provisional. And so then we want to see beyond the provisional to something That's not the whole truth, but it's at least truer. So our practice then is to loosen our attachment to our senses, not even cling to that. Dogen said, slipping out of your old skin, not constrained by past views, You manifest immediately what has been dormant for boundless eons. You manifest immediately what has been dormant for boundless eons. If we hear the teaching of the insentient, It pushes up to go beyond our stories of self and other and enter enter into the whole body, enter into this. Uh, Comments, thoughts? Would you give me the crenex? Yes. As well, you should, right? Right, exactly. But um, you uh,
3: quite rightly encourage me to think of them as more something like you're you're committing to to being continually thoughtful about certain things, or continually mindful about how you live within the context of these um, particular concepts. And this example seems like a really good one of like, how, okay, how do I think about the do not kill requirement? And you said, look. Like, would be because I made this commitment to be thoughtful about this, when the instinct to say, get rid of this thing arises, then I'm thoughtful about it. Um, and I'm in a much less serious but sort of structurally similar situation in that I, it turned out I have another one, another cyst of the kind that might be the kind that did its complicating. and no. my, my uh, complicated surgery last time when we were doing active monitoring to see, okay. <laughs> um, to see if it's. Cause trouble like last one, um, and yeah, and on the, on the one hand, um, I, I sort of I did a little bit feel like, uh, okay, shouldn't we like stop things before anything possibly happens, and I end up, you know, in yeah, collapsing again. Kind of don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um. But I but the Jackson was like, look, like, I'm just I'm telling you, I would I would just keep keep an eye on it of course there might come a time when she no longer says that exactly right no the 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 right decision is to do something else and then um and that's still sort of within the context of you know i'm being thoughtful about about do not kill and this time what is important to not kill is me (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. and so we have to make a different decision Mm -hmm. um so, mm-hmm. and that just seems like a really good mm-hmm. illustration that it's not, like, do not kill doesn't give you, like, an algorithm that you can <laughs> just sort of use to decide how to act on any occasion without having to think about it. It just gives you, like, a, a concept to bring into your thought while you're still yeah. being, like, honest with yourself and thoughtful. So I think that was, very, that was a very really helpful oh, okay. example for me to apply, okay.
1: apply to that good. Right. right. I'm I'm actually really impressed that you remember what we talked about in Dokkasan three months ago. That's great.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thank you.
1: But you know, it's right. So we have the precepts. And uh, we might think they simplify our lives, but they complicate our lives. Well, what would killing look like in this circumstance? <laughs> I like the way you said it. Sometimes do not kill means do not kill me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we wash our hands.
0: Thank. Um, I have to tell you about uh, my experience. The other yesterday morning, when I got up, I found I saw a fly. A fly. It's um. It's not a very fat fly. It's kind of a skinny, nice-looking. <laughs> <laughs> and in the past, I would swap them and put in the waste But when last time it happened, I kind of grabbed uh, it into my hands and took it to the trash with the handle. The trash, shoot yeah, and released it in the trash. Oh. so it doesn't bother other people. You but released
1: it into heaven.
0: <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, at this time, I saw, saw it twice, yeah. or yesterday morning. Yeah. And I saw it once more in the evening. And uh, what I said was, well, this guy is very lonesome. No partners or anything like that. Right? And I let, let him stay here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh huh, uh huh. Where he can be uh, around other sentient beings, like him.
0: I, I didn't see him this morning, but I'll uh, probably see him that when I get <laughs> <laughs> So you've got pet now. I have a pet. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Well, that's lifespan, right? I know. <laughs>
1: well. Probably everybody's done the trick of putting a glass over the <laughs> thing. I'm, I'm uh, impressed that you caught the fly in your hands. <laughs> Sometimes you put a glass under it, a piece of paper. and, and uh, That's great, but even better. see, You must be lonely. In fact, maybe there's a little guilt there because I took his partner and I threw it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. Long time ago. Long time ago, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
4: this most recent Zazen sitting, mm. I had been thinking about uh, killing thoughts, oh, yeah. and kind of that had been, or just my approach to this like thinking mind has been pretty aggressive I think, I yeah. realized just today, yeah. um, and so thinking about like shifting that from killing thoughts to befriending the mind. Oh. and. And it kind of goes to what you are saying of, of, and the, how you were speaking about that dance between yeah. what's underneath it and then yeah. what exists that we deal with every moment, you know, all the time, and, and, and how that part is integral to our experience here, but um, being able to befriend those thoughts yes. instead of just trying, because then you're just adding to it, you're adding layers every time you say, oh, here's a thought, I want to kill that, I want to kill that and, and now you want to kill what you just killed, in the act of killing it this stuff right. instead yes. of just saying, "Here it is," yes. you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So it's good that you uh, remind us of that. So the, the metaphor that I've been using about give the talking stick back to the universe. Mm-hmm. The way you do it is not you throw it away. <laughs> the way you do it is just open your hand. Right. It doesn't have to leave your hand. <laughs> just open. so this is a good way you know. if we kill our thoughts then we just have thoughts of killing
2: so, more on one other question I think in terms of the political stuff that you kind of brought up you know it's like really been really easy for me to uh, analyze kind of what um, you, know, it's, you know, I guess Donald Trump and his entourage of how they're othering, you know, other people but on a more personal note too, I've had to like really start to watch myself not to other yeah. like them because it's real easy for me to do that and uh, you know so I actually like trying to figure out like why like that instinct is so strong the othering instinct yeah right Mm -hmm. now and it's happening it's like I'm definitely I'm noticing this happening where I'm creating a dividing line between people who are on this side of it and on the other side of it and there's a lot and I'm watching it happen and I can actually see like you know, I remember I took a photo, and I was like, okay, so, and I looked at a photo of a person, and I was just like, oh, imagine this person being, like, a Donald Trump supporter, and just all wow. these stories, and being, yeah. like, now being part of, like, the legal team that's free, and that told yeah. just yeah. one picture, and what cool. my mind is, like, starting to create, and I don't, and yeah, yeah, it's just interesting, because I feel like I'm getting further and further into this, Diluted state. Yeah. It is. Yeah.
1: All right, so we really have to monitor that othering. Mm-hmm. So, screen gives us a great opportunity to monitor the othering. All is not me. Cushion is not me. The person next to me is not me. But the fact is, We arise with all other things. There's no other way to do it. So, our job in Sashi is to be open to the guidance of all beings. I guess that's one way to talk about size.